Man, well, welcome to the summer of love. Uh, what a great, I love saying it. I'm going to say it every week while we're going through this summer and talking about love. A uh, couple of my favorite things in the world. Uh, one of them is love. I just really like talking about love and how much God loves us. And um, I've become just uh, enamored with Him and, and what He does for us. So the idea that's driving this series is... Uh, Jesus' new command, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, something he introduced and he lived, which is a new way to love, to love one another with love that gives of self. And we said that that is an uncommon kind of love because, oh, look at that. The summer of love is back. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alan. Isn't our tech team the best, man? They're fantastic. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> so uh, the summer of love to love people in an uncommon way I think somebody should make that a bumper sticker uncommon love so totally uh, we're totally invested into this thing that we call love this idea of love what Jesus has called us to do uh, today we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Romans chapter 12 um, and before we get there I want to kind of back up a little bit just to to recap some things that we've been talking about as i go forward by the way if you'd like to look at the notes for today's message you can go to the bible app uh, the U version bible app or the church's um uh app itself we have a church app and on the church app are today's message notes for that too so uh we're going to go back to uh, romans chapter 12 and kind of pick up where we left off last week but um I like the old story of a man I, I was reading, and of course, around our house, we're always doing um, things and projects. And those. Yesterday, we had a wiffle ball tournament, uh, not tournament, but game, in the end of our cul-de-sac. All the kids were out there, and me and Teresa. Um, I'm not sure what that says about us, but, and then all the parents came, and they put their chairs out, and they watched us play wiffle ball. We had a good time. Uh, a story about a man who had a project going on in his yard, and he was making a, a concrete sidewalk and he got it out and he got the forms all set and he got the concrete all poured out and he had just gotten through smoothing it out and he turned around and he saw one of his kids step through the concrete and walk back inside and he lost his mind he went inside and he is a tirade yelling at the kids what's going on i can't believe you would come out there and step in the concrete don't you know and the wife stopped him and said whoa 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 don't you love your kids? And he said, well, of course I do, but I love them in the abstract, not in the concrete. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> I need the drums. All right. It does remind me of a saying I heard. To live in love with the saints above, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, that's a different story. <laughs> it's hard to love people, you know? It, it is. It's, it's hard to love people. Um, Jesus has called us to love the unlovable. That's what he's called us to do. It's easy to love the people that's easy to love, but that's not what God has called us to do. I don't know about you, but I'm enamored with how much Jesus loves me. Um, in fact, a couple of times in my life, whenever I felt like I was drifting off into a, a place that is probably not a great place to be you know you've been there mentally you're like man i don't know and who is god and what's he doing and uh i don't know what's going on i am always drawn back whenever i remember just how much he loves me 
what he has done for me. And it's like in those times I feel him wrap his arms around me. I hope you've experienced this. And just pull me to himself. As I dig in and study about love, the more I discover that the core, the absolute center of our faith is love. So today we're going to finish what we started last week in Romans chapter 12. Um, Paul gave some clarification uh, about Jesus' words on love, which we know Jesus said, a new command I give you to love one another, right? That was his new command. So Paul gives some clarification in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. So I'm going to read the whole scripture to you again, and then we're going to get into it today. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, it's powerful. If if you really get into it and dig it, and I just felt like last week I couldn't do enough justice to go through the whole thing last week. So that's kind of why we're doing today. So uh, to catch you up with uh, what was going on in Romans, and you'll remember some of this from last week, if... um, if you read be, the beginning of Romans and, and go forward, you'll see that Ro- in, Paul is typically giving some well-thought-out, well-articulated uh, language uh, of theology. He begins some very mature theological arguments throughout Romans chapter 12. But in this section, it's like he takes a break from that. He really shortens the sentences. He makes things a little more simple than they are. And if you a little more simple than they have been previously and if you look in here um, many of the sentences don't have a verb which is interesting so what's paul what's paul's purpose here why is he doing this if if we go back to the beginning like we said we read that paul wants us to understand that our only logical response to god is to in uh, the mercies of God is to lay our bodies down, to lay our lives down on the altar of sacrifice to God. Now, and we said last week, not that we take our own life or that we are physically sacrificed, but it's a transformation of our spiritual life that includes rejecting what's going on with the world and renewing our minds. You remember that scripture that we should renew our minds daily, focus ourselves on on Christ, um, that is one of the greatest uh, sources for me to be able to maintain a path of righteousness. Because if I find myself drifting, I'm reminded that Christ, or Paul tells us that uh, we should renew our minds on Christ. So stop for a minute. 
Think about Christ. Read some scripture. Spend some time praying to him. And as we renew our minds on Christ, it leads to a right view of ourselves in God's eyes, which in turn leads us to wanting to use our gifts to build the body of Christ. It's, it's kind of a logical step, and Paul's very logical in this book. So as we've realized that how awesome God is and how great his love is for us and how that love in the body really begins to expand out, we realize that part of our offering, laying ourselves down, giving of ourselves to God, part of that offering includes a love for each other. Love becomes part of our offering. Now, understanding this, we can see that it's, it's a logical step as we draw deeper into God, renewing our minds, following Him, will lead us to this place of love. And if you find somebody who says, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus, but they don't have love as their core, then that's a believer who's in spiritual trouble. Because love has got to be in the core. For this church, it is our guiding principle to love like Jesus so lives are changed. You saw it on the sign when you came in. That's what we want to do. We want to love like Jesus so lives are changed. And then love can be abstract. We just talked about that, right? It's a relative idea, like the dad who got mad and said, I love them, not in the concrete. <laughs> Man, it really is a dad joke, isn't it? <laughs> like, I'm the only one laughing about that one. All right, so in, in today's scripture, Paul wants us to move from love in the abstract to love in the concrete. Love in the, uh, this idea that I love people, that it's easy to say that I love you, it's easy to talk about I love you. What are some practical ways that we can actually show love? How is it that we get into the place that there is truly love? So uh, he gives us specific attitudes and behaviors and, and ways, practices. Um, and he breaks it into three sections. How we should love each other within the body, how we should love non-believers, and how we should love those who persecute us. A three-section portion of Scripture here. And last week we talked about the non-hypocritical love. And in the NIV it says, it uses the word sincere. And uh, in the English Standard Version it uses the word genuine um, the word enupokritos means is, is in the Greek means to be unfeigned or undisguised uh, it's not fake it's real and we've been talking about the word hypocrite in my house <laughs> hypocrite um, my daughter feels like everything she'll, she'll get mad at somebody and say uh, that that person's being a hypocrite because they didn't tell me the truth <laughs> it's not necessarily what it means. A hypocrite means to be not fake, to be genuine, to be, um, to be real. And that's the kind of love that he's talking about here when he says, love must be sincere. Enupokritos, not fake, not feigned. It has to be a real love. So God wants us to love people in a non-hypocritical, genuine way. And to detest evil and cling to good. And he says that we should do this one to another, be devoted to one another. But in the, in the Greek, it's translated one to another, um, which is 
really awesome because it's saying that we have to have a kind of an affection for one another a deep family affection like we really do love each other it's not just a um i feel good about the people i'm around it's i really love you i really want to help you and if you need something call me and he says to honor one another above yourselves the the word that he uses there has a hint of competition really quite literally outdo one another can you outdo each other in love can i love you more than you can love me and you should say no i'm gonna love you more no i'm gonna love you more and then you see you begin this we would say oh that's a love fest but yes yeah it really is so moving on to today the the whole idea the whole focus the whole title is is to bless your persecutor so he kind of shifts his subject matter from um relationships with other believers to showing sincere love to non-christians and he says bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn live in harmony with one another do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited paul's words are kind of a reference to matthew chapter 5 where jesus on the sermon on the mount uh, begins to talk about some of these things like jesus paul says we should turn the other cheek we should display a love for others that goes beyond normal boundaries that goes past what is normal again it's uncommon it's something different so what kind of love is this how is it that we go beyond normal boundaries this is where we get into love that is a divine love because you and me loving people we can love people but not in a divine way only by the love of god in us can we love people in a way that is divine because his divine love in us flows through us you understand we become a a conduit of his love his love passes through us and it stays with us it's interesting we and i've used as the illustration before the dead sea Uh, it's the dead sea because it's so full of minerals that nothing can live in it as the water flows into the dead sea it evaporates and goes out and the minerals stay behind so nothing else can live and what happens is in our life if we turn into a type of people that his love flows into us but never out then we too will die it's got to flow away from us something that goes beyond normal boundaries normal human love is incapable to love divinely and so he uses an example um, to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn to cry with our friends is one thing and you've all done it i've done it somebody is hurt they're broken they're they're sad and they begin to to cry or to weep or they're mourning and we do that with them and it's easy and we hug them and we tell them we love them and things are going to be okay like that's that's an easy thing to do to cry with but what about when our enemy's crying 
Do we weep with our enemy? I would dare say not. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Are we learning to mourn with our enemies? What about rejoicing? It's probably harder to rejoice with our enemy. I mean, we can rejoice with our friends, right? You get good news and you call your friend and like, hey, rejoice with me. And we all are excited and we celebrate together. But really, when our enemies fail, we like to cheer, right? When our enemies succeed, we jeer. We, I don't like them. Can't believe they succeeded. <laughs> but that's not what we're called to do. When our enemies succeed, we should rejoice with them. Can we bring ourselves to rejoice with them? True love rejoices. But if you make it even something more concrete for us, what if we get skipped over for a promotion, but the person we like least in the office gets the promotion? Or what if we have bad health, but they have good health? Or what if they get a new house and, and we cannot? How does that make us feel when it happens to our enemy? You see, that's why this is an uncommon love that God has called us to. It's not usual. It's not what happens in society. But if people would know who God is, it's going to be because we love this way. Verse 16 speaks to perhaps the biggest problem with loving and living in harmony and that is pride pride to humble ourselves to in his words to associate with the lowly with people of low position we for the most part whoever we define as those in the low position in our circles we avoid but that's not what God has called us to do. He calls us specifically to associate with those in the low position. And one of the things that we've talked about here a lot is the kingdom of God. His kingdom. His kingdom is a place where, and we've said, the poor and the lowly have a uh, place that they're welcome in. Where those who can't find love can find love here. So how is it that we can allow or help the lowly to feel love well it's by being with them associating with them be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited and, and what's the point to humble ourselves to associate with the lowly perhaps it's in these places that God's love for us and for them is really revealed Perhaps it's in these places that we're reminded just how much God loves us. Perhaps it's in these places that we're reminded that every single person has value. Regardless of where they're from or who they are or the color of their skin. A friend of mine, Larry Hess, spoke very often and Teresa reminded me last week of this um, he used to say, every time you lock eyes with someone, you lock eyes with someone that God loves. So, 
It'll change the way you look at people. Remember that. And I bet he said it a hundred times to me. Every time, every time you lock eyes with someone, you lock eyes with someone that God loves. Every time you lock eyes with someone, you lock eyes with someone that God loves. When you're in the, the checkout stand at the grocery store and you lock eyes with that person, God loves that person. Remember that. It will change the way that you view them. Whenever that person is screaming at you and yelling at you and spittles coming off their mouth, you look at their eyes and remember, God loves that person. I've heard it said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Are we meeting people where they're at, understanding that God loves us all the same? So how should we respond to mistreatment and persecution? Uh, he says in verse 17, Do not repay anyone for evil, but uh, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul, again, goes back to Jesus' teaching. And I'm going to use a word, the word kingdom ethic. What I'm trying to convey is when we live in the kingdom of God, there's an ethic there. So, so a kingdom ethic is the way things function in his kingdom and that's what we're at work at we've started uh, saying the lord's prayer with our kids i'm sure they're sick of it I, I want them to always understand but every night now we say the lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come jesus taught us to pray that way god let what happens up there happen down here let what goes on up there happen down here but how's that going to happen unless we live it so the kingdom ethic bring it down here we live in the kingdom of God. The way that the, the kingdom functions up there is how it functions down here. So Paul is renewing the call of Jesus to a kingdom ethic of non-retaliation. Non-retaliation. I, um, I was driving down the road. Road rage is a real thing. You know what I mean? Like, is, is it a diagnosed condition? I just don't know, but... So, driving down the road and um i was in the right lane and just driving my own merry little way you know going the speed limit i wasn't going slow or anything i mean and this person came up and they from the left lane and they cut right in front of me and continued on into the into the uh, exit you know like i don't understand what not even two seconds of a difference it would have made for them and I said that to him while I was driving by. But, you know, like, I want immediately, I want to retaliate. What can I do? Who can I? I'm going to follow them. I'm going to go cut them off. You know, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's this mind thing that we get. It's, it's in our nature to do that. Again, that's why what God has called us to do is uncommon. It's hard to not retaliate. When somebody speaks a certain way to you, you want to speak that certain way back. When they use certain language, you want to use that language back. It's, it's retaliation. But God has said, vengeance is mine. It's not our job. Paul, so Paul's reminding them, hey, there's a kingdom ethic 
of non-retaliation. The way things happen up there, if they're going to happen in our lives, that means we don't retaliate. It's more simple than not retaliating. It's also doing right. So, again, a kingdom ethic. Doing right in their eyes, taking it a step further. Not only do we not retaliate, not only do we not hate somebody, we love them. When somebody mistreats us, we do good for them. It's opposite. It's uncommon. It's not usual. People are not used to living like that. Doing right in the eyes of everyone. In other words, don't offend people. I mean, I think if Christians could get a hold of this concept that we would end the turmoil going on in the country right now. Just don't retaliate. In fact, take it a step further and do something good for somebody who has offended you. And we live in an age now that everybody is highly offended about everything. And it breaks my heart when a Christian gets offended also. Because we're not allowed. Somebody offends you, you love them. That's it. That's, but that's not me. That's Scripture. Listen, understand too that this is a struggle for me as well. But I'm, I, I try and, and I want God to speak through me and to be in me and to help me to love like He has loved me. But then how far do we go in, in living at peace? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Well, that's, like that could go a little far, but he, he does give a clarifying statement. Understand, Paul was versed in law. That's what he studied. He studied the law, the, the Old Testament law. So he knew, what, he knew what he was doing here. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So here's, here's my clarifying statement. How far should we go in living at peace? As far as it depends on you. Well, what does that mean? We can't seek the approval of unbelievers and trample on God's moral commands. There's a line there. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. Love people. Give them your love. Now, don't go out of your way to make them happy. If somebody's living in sin, and we know there's sin, we don't have to placate them. There is a line there, but also we can't be offended at them, right? Like there's a, there's a line there that many, many people have a, a hard time of, of catching that line. We can't seek the approval of unbelievers. We can't trample on God's moral commands. There are certain things that God has called wrong. There just are. We can't change those. But we sure can love people that are involved in those, Right? Because how are they going to know that God loves them unless I love them? And then all the judgment they've experienced from people who have said that they're Christians but judged. So how, how can they, now they can begin to say, oh, well, this person really does love me. Is that what God is like? And then they begin to be the Holy Spirit. We call it woo. He woos them. I love that word. He woos them to him. He draws them in. But it's not because we either uh, condemned or approved. We just said, man, we love you. 
God loves you, so we love you. Vengeance is mine. You know, God is the one who gets to take the revenge. I know many people would rather that God would allow them to take the revenge, but that's just not the way it works. God gets that. So our job then, if revenge is off the table, our job can only be to love them. There is nothing else. Like, if, if we walk down that road, even if we don't get vengeance, then we get wrapped up with revenge, and our mind won't leave that place, and it, we get into an area of sin ourselves. So God's taking that off the table. Really should make it easy. We can't revenge. Oh, okay, I guess I just love you then. You've wronged me. I'm going to love you. And how do we do that? Paul quotes from uh, Proverbs 25, if you want to read it. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. If you treat people badly, then they will have justification to treat you badly. But if you respond in love, in kindness, then they're going to wonder, what am I doing? Like, you take away their reason to be mad at you. You take away their reason to try to do something to you. You take it away. If we show love and kindness, maybe they might be ashamed of their actions. We don't know. Either way, God has taken vengeance off the table. The greatest example of someone who uh, did this very thing is Jesus. The greatest example, he overcame evil and he loved in spite of the tremendous injustice he was subject to. We, we very often focus on the physical aspect of what happened to Jesus and it was horrible. It's unspeakable even. He went through a mess, Jesus did. But we don't talk about the injustice very often. We have, you guys remember Dublin, Dr. Pepper? Everybody remember? It's, it's the best. So I used to drive through Dublin just to go get some of that dumb Dublin, Dr. Pepper, or as close as I could. So uh, the last trip I had, I have some bottles of Dublin, Dr. Pepper still in my fridge, if you can believe it. And um, they have kept very well. They're awesome. And just yesterday, of course, the kids are always like, Dad, can I have one of those Dr. Peppers? Nope. <laughs> nope, you cannot. Uh, so just yesterday, they asked me for about the 200th time, and finally I said, oh, okay. One of them did. She went and got a Dr. Pepper, had it out at the table. We're about to have the awesome brisket and, you know, banana pudding and potato salad. It was, I'm getting hungry all over again. It was sweet. And uh, so then one of the other kids sees that that she had one, and they were like, oh, I want one too. You know, now, now what do I say? If I say, no, you can't have one. Oh, the injustice. Oh, the tragedy. How come they can have one? Eight ounces of awesome Dr. Pepper, and I can't have. You know, it's like this, it's this injustice, this idea that we all have built into us that it's got to be just, and if they get it, then I should get it. And if it happens to them, if it happens to me, it should happen to them, right? We have this built-in, in our psyche of, of justice. It's, it's justice. We want justice, and we scream for justice, and we have to have justice, and if they get it, I want it. Think about Jesus and the tremendous injustice that he faced. Nothing that happened to him was fair. 
None of it. It wasn't fair at all. It was the furthest from fair. How did he respond? 1 Peter 2.23 When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He did nothing back. We're talking about God. And, and I love referencing the psalm that says he breathed stars, right? God, amazing, awesome, magnificent God became a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He could have tore them up. And probably we all wish he would have. Then on the other hand, we're glad that he was crucified because that's how come I can be free. It's a whole nother sermon. But I just am, that's why I become enamored with the love of Jesus. How Can I pattern myself after that? Can I do nothing when people insult me? When I am suffering at the hands of somebody else, can I sit by and not make a threat? Can I not cut somebody off who cut me off? <laughs> Booker T. Washington, you guys have heard his name, founder of the world-famous Tuskegee Institute, Institute excuse me, in Alabama. He understood these principles. He, he was a black man, grew up in segregated South, in the segregated South. He knew more than his share of hatred and prejudice and racism, unfair treatment. He grew up with it. But as a Christian, he also knew that a man is not uh, judged by what he goes through, but by how he responds to it. And this is, this is one of the things he said. He expressed his credo in one powerful sentence. I will permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. I will permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. There's no way that we have experienced the type of injustice that Booker T. Washington experienced. We just haven't. And yet he said he's not going to let those things make him hate people. And in spite of the less injustice that we face, how many times have we got to that place? I just don't like them. I just don't want to be around them. We can't stop people from hating us, but we don't have to hate them back. And we can't always make people love us, but we can surely always love people. You see, and this is what I, as we raise our kids, I want them to understand. It's not about how people treat you. It's how you treat people. I can't control what anybody else says or does, but I surely can control me. And that's what God has called us to do, to love in an uncommon way. To love like this, that's world-changing. That's paradigm-shifting. By the world's standards, that's certifiably crazy. Or at the very least, it's weak to love people like this. When we begin to put some meat on loving like Jesus, our church's credo, love like Jesus so lives are changed. When we begin to put some meat on this, all of the sudden, 
It's less cozy, and it's more radical. You know what I mean? Like we, we can say we're going to love like Jesus, and, and it gives us this nice, warm, gushy feeling. But to really love like Jesus, to really not retaliate when somebody's mean to us, to really love them when they hate us, to love them when they insult us, to really love like Jesus, that's hard. But that's what God's called us to. If, you've, if, you, if you read books or listen to books, uh, there's a book called The Rise of Christianity. And I would encourage you to make yourself familiar with that book because it is a, his, a book on the, the history of the Christian church beginning in the, in the very early, um, the first few hundred years. And it talks about the way the church revolutionized society, literally changed the Roman Empire through love. So that before, uh, just over 300 years, the entire Roman Empire was majority Christian because they were so full of love. Can we get back there? Or, or, or maybe some of us are. Are we loving people like that? It, it's a constant, everyday, God, help me to love. That's what it is. Hmm. Will you pray with me? God, this morning we are just enamored with your love so grateful for how you have loved us so grateful that you have taught us to love in an uncommon way god i just ask that you would help us as we continue uh, to do what you've called us to do Con as you help us to continue to to love other people the way that you have loved us that that we can really come to a place that when people insult us we don't insult back or even the thought doesn't come I, and I, I didn't know <laughs> I had no idea when you started to push me on this idea of love for the summer I had a whole different plan I didn't know what our country would be going through but I and I don't know what difference our small church here in North Texas can make on a global scale but I do know that we can greatly impact our communities if we will love our neighbors, if we will love those who persecute us, if we will feed and clothe. Help us to love in a radical way. In Jesus' name we pray.